0: I like to continue with the conditions in the loving kindness discourse, which are to generate peacefulness within us, and through that, the loving heart. The loving heart, which doesn't have any conditions to love, it's just its quality. The next condition is called mild. Or mild, one can say, is the opposite of being aggressive. Aggressiveness does not only show itself in physical action. That's its last resort. Its first resort is thought and then speech. And it shows itself very much so in wanting to be right. It's an innate and insidious defilement. And the thought behind it is, even though one may not be conscious of that, I'm thinking it, therefore it must be true. I've mentioned that quite a number of times that if one becomes a meditator, and a meditator is not only somebody who sits on a pillow, a meditator is a person who tries to take insight into him or herself, into daily life, has a meditative stance towards everything that goes on within. Unless one has already started to do that, Because one has seen in meditation that the thoughts which arise are very often nonsense, fantasy and dreams, hopes and memories, and have absolutely no connection to anything that's actually happening. And then taking that understanding with one, unless one does that, one will continue to think that what I'm thinking must be right. Because I'm thinking it. Now, obviously, when it's spelled out like that, the absurdity of it comes to the fore. There's no way one can disregard this absurdity. I'm thinking it, therefore it must be right. Everybody else is thinking something else, so everybody is also right. Now, it doesn't mean that one thinks continuously that one is wrong but it means that one questions oneself. What are my motivations? Why am I thinking that? What is it in me that's coming up, trying to assert, assert its superiority, its knowledge, its uh, braininess? Who knows what one wants to assert? Now that type of assertion makes one everything but mild. Mildness comes out, first of all, in one's thoughts. And if one can have a grasp of the fact that there's far more in the universe than meets the eye, literally speaking, one should start to be a little more humble about it. And aggressiveness will go. Aggressiveness then changes into questioning. And questioning is legitimate. We should. We should question. We should question what we find within ourselves. We should question what we find in the universe. We should question everything. Because our biggest mistake is to take things on faith value just as they appear to be that's the biggest mistake we make beneath it there's quite a different reality and beneath that there's another one until we get to the bottom of the whole of creation and if we haven't got to the bottom of creation we should continue to question but we should never assert that the way we're seeing it must be correct. It can't be. And the first discourse in that book that we have been studying, the Diganikaya, the long discourses, is called the Brahmajala Sutta. And it's, uh, that means the discourse on the net of views The net of views, 62 of them. And they are, so to say, headings, those 62, for all the views that mankind could possibly have. All of them. But put together into 62 headings. And each one is wrong. And why is it wrong? Wrong on the absolute level. Because it is seen from the standpoint of a personal me. So we should be very careful with our views. Doesn't mean that we can't have any. But we should be careful not to assert them. Because there's something else, totally different, far more encompassing, elevated, and all-embracing which a person who hasn't got rid of the view of me can't possibly see. So we can have views, we can have opinions. I mean, everybody has them. There's no use saying we can't have them. Everybody's got them. And we can, of course, think. We must, because everybody does it anyway. It's a natural phenomena. But we should be careful trying to assert that that is right. Mildness comes in the way we confront the creation around us. We could say harmlessness. Harmlessness is another way of saying that we don't want to do anything to any creature that we wouldn't like to have done to ourselves. If you ever went to Sunday school, you'll probably remember that one. We all know those things. We know them backward, actually. But they sort of don't have had the... they haven't had the impact on us, which would have made a great deal of difference in our attitude towards ourselves and others. Now, aggressiveness can also go against oneself that one doesn't have a kind of care and concern which brings about lack of troubles for mind and body. The more we assert ourselves, the less we'll have peacefulness because we're always afraid that our assertion of whatever it may be isn't going to fall on willing ears and since this assertion is totally bound up with our ego assumption it's a frightening situation if our assertiveness does not fall on willing ears, obviously our ego isn't going to be supported now when we do that to ourselves then, of course we have the idea that This is not indulging, but that's also a wrong idea. Not looking after oneself with mind and body and looking after both is a lack of compassion. A lack of compassion for this person that's having all sorts of difficulties. And if we don't look after ourselves and are mild towards ourselves, harmless, then will be difficult to do this with others. We are maybe having a sort of an idea that we can do it for others, but that's just an idea. The inner reaction and response to that is lacking. So if the inner reaction and response Towards this embracing compassion is lacking, we can't do it for anyone. We can do it intellectually. And the more our intellect is roaming around in our head, <laughs> the better we think we can do it. Unfortunately, it doesn't work. It's extremely unpleasant because again and again we get. A reaction from outside of us which shows us quite clearly that we didn't do what we thought we were doing. It's only when the heart speaks that we get the response that the heart of others can give. I've often compared the conversations that we have in the West with the conversations that I experienced in Sri Lanka. Now, that's not to say that those people are cleverer or more intelligent or better. Not at all. None of, nothing like that. But the conversations one has in the West are practically all the time, unless one goes to meditation course, from head to head. This is what people are used to. And the conversations I've had in Sri Lanka have been practically all the time from heart to heart. And the difference is enormous. The um, difference is one where there is a whole atmosphere around one which depicts without any doubt that there is tolerance and acceptance and no self-assertion to the point where one has to prove anything. This is very often happening in the West, that one has conversations which need to prove something. What is there to prove? Once we can see the reality beyond this one that meets the eye, there's absolutely nothing to prove. Nothing. We're all that that we've always been. We will always be what we've always been. We don't have to prove a thing. We don't have to be a thing, because basically we aren't. It's just a manifestation of creation. And that manifestation is constantly at loggerheads with other creations of manifestations and all the other things that are around us. And very often, for the simple reason, to have to prove something, to have to prove one's own being there, being important, being somebody, knowing something, knowing more, knowing less, whatever it is we'd like to prove. If we would pay more attention to our thought processes, namely the content of thought, as we have hopefully learned through the meditation one can never be sure what one has learned until one actually practices that. When we have learned that, to be aware of the content of my thought process and make sure it's mild, make quite sure that it isn't trying to prove one's own superiority or own inferiority, not trying to prove a thing, but just a thought process which may or may not make oneself and others happy and not believe them to be true, but just to check them out against their wholesomeness and unwholesomeness. Then we would have a handle On this particular aspect that the Buddha mentions as being mild, harmlessness also, of course, is physical. But there, we already have a better handle on it. We know that we're not to hurt the environment around us and we know that we're not to hurt the people around us who belong to that environment and all the rest of the environment that we still hurt it to some degree due to the fact that the gross body always has that inherent quality it is not possible for a body to stay alive without harming something of the environment but we can be careful to Reduce that to the minimum. That's all we can do. Reduce it to the utmost minimum that we are aware of. Now that awareness of reducing, harming the environment to the utmost minimum, that same awareness needs to be within our thought process. What am I trying to prove? What's my intention? Why do I believe that I'm right and somebody else is wrong? What's that all about? If we can have an inkling of the grand and total picture that the Buddha has painted for us of the whole of universal existence, we have a better chance if we can't quite see that hole yet we should be even more careful to take care to be careful is connected to being mindful mindfulness mindfulness of one's own content of thought and one's own emotions nothing can be more helpful Now, if there is any breach of being mild for a person who has meditated for some time, that person feels an inner hurt. Not because somebody else has done it, because they themselves have done it. If one is not a meditator for some length of time, one still believes one is right, of course. But The more the meditation has taken one inward the easier it is to feel that there has been a slight breach of creating harmony in the environment And that's obviously what being mild means creating harmony in the environment creating harmony on all levels, and it sounds as if it was something abstract. Well, from a um, grammatical standpoint, of course it is. But it's something tangible. One can feel harmony quite strongly. One can feel it if one walks into a room where there are some people. One can feel it when one walks into a room where people have gone. One can feel harmony or disharmony. The longer one has meditated, the easier it is to feel that. But practically every person that has a bit of awareness can feel it. And very often, we don't pay attention. We don't trust our own feelings. We're not used to actually relating to them on that level. But it's very easy for most people to come into a room where there are several people and without them saying anything to know whether that togetherness is harmonious or not. It's up to us, to each one who takes the Buddhist teaching seriously and whoever does that is addressed to create harmony in our environment creating harmony in our environment is not a difficult task but it needs a lack of self-assertion where there's self-assertion there's never harmony so within that We can see that mildness is more than just a word. It's um, a total way of addressing our own inner reactions and also actions. If we take the Buddha's teachings to heart, we will know that creating harmony around us can only be for the greatest benefit for ourselves because then we live in harmonious environment. And, obviously, we all know what we've done to our natural environment around us, and we know that it is at risk. But we are the species that's most at risk, and this is the one that needs to be attended to most. It's not just birds and uh, tigers and uh, the trees which are at risk. It's us, very much so. And not strictly because we have messed up nature around us. We are at risk because we don't live in harmony with each other. And we've got a very small planet and it's full of people Here in America, one does see stretches of land where there are no people. In Europe, you don't. There are people everywhere. But it's populated and overpopulated, and there are more and more people all the time. So if we don't... Each one who meditates, don't do something about that. And of course, there are people who naturally come to this conclusion even though they might never have meditated a moment in their life and then there are those who've been meditating for a fairly long time and never come to that conclusion but it's easier for meditators to recognize these facts because one becomes more sensitive to oneself and that's another aspect of mildness sensitivity the sensitivity to so what is going on around one Our sensitivity does not mean that one constantly has to react and react in an unpleasant way people sometimes use the word sensitivity in that context and that's not the right way to think of sensitivity sensitivity means being more strongly aware being more strongly aware of one's feelings and of feelings of around one So, for a meditator, it's easier to become more sensitive. But there are people, of course, who've always been that way and have always recognized some of the things, or all of them, that I've mentioned. The next condition is to be well content. Well, if you remember, we had that exact same thing in the Potapada Sutta that it was one of the aspects which came before meditation contentment contentment with what one has, not always thinking of what one could get one could get so many things if one doesn't believe that one should one day talk to a very rich person and find out whether they're contented. They've probably got ten of everything. Contentment's got nothing to do with that. Nothing at all. Contentment is an inner feeling of being at ease with the way things are. Because the way things are are just worldly conditions and our Guest performance on this level here is mighty short. And since we're only guests, we should, of course, leave our surroundings in good order. When we leave here, this place where we are now, I'm sure Tony's going to ask you to clean up your room. We're guests here. We have to leave it in very good order. And uh, we don't want anybody to say afterwards, Oh, these people, look at that. Well, what about that guest performance we're giving on this planet? Not only should we leave it in good order for the next people to move in, but maybe we can even improve it a little. How? By improving ourselves. Yes, Absolutely. No other way. If we want to do anything for anyone, we've got to first do it for ourselves. This is such a simple and obvious statement that it escapes people. It escapes them probably in the heat of the idea, I must do something. But that's fine. But what can we do? So to be contented with everything that is ours. Our body, even if it's sick, it's all right. doesn't matter. All bodies get sick at one time or another. It's only a matter of time. Sometimes they get well again and sometimes they don't. With our surroundings, with the people that we are with, with our own abilities, with our whole way of having a place in this creation. Now contentment doesn't mean that one doesn't learn the aspects of the spiritual path that will bring spiritual growth. But only contentment makes it possible to use that teaching. Now, contentment should not result in thinking oneself better than others. Contentment should be on a level of humility that whatever it is that one has, it's enough. It's more than enough. And one can actually, of the material goods, give something away to those who have less. That kind of stance brings with it a feeling of harmlessness. Because the more of things we amass, the more of them need to be produced. The more there is produced, the more we are harming the environment. If we are contented with little, it brings about a feeling of reducing self-assertion. It's a very nice way Of recognizing that this self that we cherish is really something that is trying to enlarge itself through all sorts of ways and means. In one instance it likes to enlarge itself through self-assertion in thought and speech and maybe even in action And here it likes to assert itself through surrounding itself with more worldly goods. In our society, it is true that we consider the one who has more to be more. But that this is absurd, anyone who thinks about it for one second will readily agree to that it's not possible to be more if one has more. And as I said, we should inquire from those who have more whether they are contented. Sometimes having more brings with it wanting even more. And sometimes it brings utter discontent because of the fact that one can see that all the things that one has amassed, none of them have kept their promise. If one d- makes do with little, under no circumstances should one be proud of that. We already had that. Pride. Not to be proud was one of the conditions. If we start being proud of any of the things we do, again it's self assertion. The traps are unending. <laughs> so it is really nothing. Else to be done except to make self-inquiry. Self-inquiry, why, how, when, where, particularly why. Why am I doing it? Why am I thinking it? Why am I saying it? Obviously there will be difficulties in ascertaining why, but if one keeps at it diligently one will find out everything that one really wants we can get it's very interesting if one really wants money one can get it there's that much around if that's where one wants to put one's energy if we really want the truth we can get it it's all over the place it's within us we can get at it it depends what we want if we make up our minds this is what i want it's available we are limiting ourselves our potential is infinite namely to experience infinity and then knowing that within that infinity, nothing and nobody is there. So we have that potential. We have potential for continuous and unabating tranquility and happiness. The potential is there. But it's not by getting anything. So to be well content has to be now and not after we have finished the next step on our proposed journey in this lifetime. Now, this moment has to be well content. Because then we can go on to the next moment and recognize that each moment is actually eternity, infinity. As long as we stay with the moment. When we have that, as an understanding, some of our craving will reduce itself. It won't disappear, but it will reduce itself. It may not be craving for worldly goods. Quite a number of people, of course, have already understood a long time ago that that isn't what's going to make them happy, and yet without them they're also not happy, so They may have cravings for totally different things. To have a meaningful job. To have a meaningful meditation. Whatever it is that we're craving for. If we're contented with this moment, we're opening up the doors to creating within us so much open space of time and energy without craving for something else that with that open space of time and energy we can actually do something do something where our inner being is transformed transformation is actually that aspect which purification and clarification depicts transformation We can only be transformed if we first of all agree to the tenet that we want to be transformed. If there's too much pride and if there's too much self-assertion, we don't want to be transformed. We just want to add on to what we've already got. If we want to add on to what we've already got, not a chance of having contentment, peacefulness, and real lovingness. Because that adding on is craving, and that makes Dukkha. And with Dukkha, it doesn't work. Naturally, we always have underlying Dukkha. But if we want to meditate, if we want to have peacefulness within in order to meditate and have loving-kindness, To be contented is one of the necessary requirements with which to sit down. It means that there is a humble recognition that the whole of creation is exactly that in which we can find our footing. That we can connect to all of it and we need not be anything special. There used to be a Zen newspaper in Australia and was called Nothing Special. I thought it was a wonderful name. I think they changed the name later. Had something else in mind. The next condition is called to be easily satisfied. Now, obviously, well-content has a connection to be easily satisfied. Easily satisfied uh, concerns worldly affairs. It concerns the things that we touch upon with our senses. If We are looking for refined and better sense contacts. It will keep us so busy. It will use up so much time and energy that our contentment is totally going to escape us. Contentment means to be right there at this time. So we have to be easily satisfied. The world is as it is. Our sense contacts are as they are. It's what the mind makes out of it. And maybe at this point, it might be important or helpful to reiterate what actually happens when we have sense contacts. Now, our sense contacts are all from the body. Our eyes, our ears, our taste buds, our nose, touching the body. Except for thinking, but first those five. But the eye cannot describe anything. It's impossible. Neither can the ear describe anything. Neither can the body describe anything. All they do is have the contact. Now to take seeing and hearing as examples, which is the easiest to um, use, the ear can only hear sound. That's all. It's a mind that knows it's a truck or a car, or a bird, or the wind in the trees. And it also depends upon our background and our upbringing, and our whole life situation, whether we actually recognize truck. If we've never heard of a truck before, never seen a truck, and there are people who have, not very few, but there are some, the word truck would not arise the sound may be called thunder does sound like that so it's strictly mind made so anything that we are trying to get through our senses is supposed to satisfy our mind because it's supposed to be pleasant what we get, the feeling is supposed to be pleasant now to satisfy our mind through those outer conditions is absurd and yet everybody does it constantly it always reminds me of the birds have you watched the birds here? I guess everybody does they're quite pretty but They're constantly looking around, they're scared, they're looking for food, and they're scared somebody else, some other bird's going to attack them, and they're scared of the cats, and they are trying to find a niche where they're going to be safe, they're constantly in motion. When one watches people, and that's a very popular pastime, people watching, one can see that they're constantly in motion. Even if the body might be quiet for a certain length of time, there's constant motion. And that constant motion is the mind trying to get some sort of fulfillment through the senses. It's an absurdity because the sense contact is momentary. And it has to be renewed constantly in order to bring any satisfaction. And if it's renewed too often, it doesn't bring any satisfaction anymore. If one eats too much chocolate, one can't stand it after a while. Doesn't want to see it anymore. One's got to stop eating it. After the war, we were given tons of tomato juice by the... United Nations Relief and Rehabilitation Association. I couldn't drink tomato juice for years after that. At first, of course, it was marvelous. I hadn't seen tomato juice for a long time. But if one gets too much of anything, it becomes also obnoxious. So the senses will never satisfy the mind. And this is something that is so important for every meditator to know. How do our senses operate? And it is a very important aspect of insight into oneself. Checking out how does the sense contact relate to the mind. When you see something, can you become aware? And I have mentioned this more than once but i've repeated it's important um can i become aware of a feeling that arises through the seeing contact most people don't and can i then become aware of the labeling and can i then become aware of the reaction only if i can have the four steps in the mind clear Will I know the pre-programmed situation that we live in? And then we will also be able to distinguish between mind and body as our first step of insight. Not that they are independent of each other, but they have different functions. The body breathes, and the mind can observe it. It's impossible for the body to observe and for the mind to breathe. It's that simple. They have their separate functions and depend upon each other, and we need to see that there are these two. And that will also bring us nearer to understanding our sense contacts and make it less important to have the pleasant ones. When we put so much importance on having pleasant sense contact then, of course, we are not easily satisfied because everybody also has unpleasant sense contact. And it only depends upon our reactions, what we make of them. The unpleasant sense contact creates an unpleasant feeling automatically then we put on a label usually having put on the label opens the way to the reaction the negative reaction I don't want that I think it's awful without the label it's easier to have non-reaction so if we can see that contentment depends entirely upon being easily satisfied with what is now and not think of what we have to do tomorrow next week next year ten years from now but be here now and with that being satisfied what is in the here and the now there's no reason and no guarantee that we should get pleasant sense contact all the time if we search for them and if we really want them we will probably be able to get as many as possible but is that really a lifetime endeavor getting pleasant sense contacts. Is it worth it? And the body can be painful, but the mind can still be peaceful. The sense contacts may be totally neutral, no particular pleasure, but the mind can remain peaceful. It doesn't have to constantly alert itself, to the sense-contacts. There's far more in the mind, as far as consciousness goes, than the reaction to our sense-contacts. We know that through the meditation. The reaction to our sense-contact is the lowest, lowest level of happiness that we can possibly get to. The Buddha called it a gross level of happiness. Most of the world, most of mankind, is concerned with that. Obviously, thinking belongs to that too. To that level. And we can make ourselves happy through thinking By thinking up fantasies and dreams, hopes, or feeling very intelligent and clever with our thinking. All of that can create some happiness, but it's all on the lowest level of happiness. Our mind is capable of much more than that. And anyone who's sat long enough in meditation has experienced that the mind can do far more than that. So to be easily satisfied concerns our search for sensual gratification. Our search for sensual gratification, one of the three cravings, the first of our five hindrances. We are, the Buddha said, in debt to our senses. That came in the Potapada Sutta of those hindrances we still have to put aside in order to meditate. But if we put it aside to some extent, smaller or greater extent in daily living, we'll find life much easier. Most people find life fairly difficult, but it becomes much easier without that kind of search. The next one is interesting for most people. I'm not caught up in too much bustle. How how many committees do I belong to? Um, How busy am I? Do I think I have no time for meditation because I'm so busy? When one thinks one has no time for meditation, one should immediately consider whether one has time for eating. If one has any time in one's daily activities for eating, keeping the body together, one necessarily needs to have time to keep the mind together. We spend a lot of time on purchasing, preparing, cooking and eating the food and cleaning up afterwards. Not to speak about having to grow it, which most people are not concerned with. Former times one was concerned with that too. So it's not just an hour in the morning, an hour at night, unless we go out and buy a pizza. It's usually... A lot of time and we wouldn't miss it we've got to eat well by the same token we've got to meditate if we have recognized that mind and body are two and we are well versed in looking after the body we've been taught that from the time we were small when they taught us how to go to the toilet So we know how to look after the body. Do we know how to look after the mind? Do we know how to make the mind healthy and well? Expansive, malleable, flexible just like a healthy body? Can we do that? meditation and the inner journey is the only thing if we're caught up in too much bustle then this thought I haven't got the time for meditation arises it's of course a thought which has no grounding in fact because that which is important for that one always has time but also being caught up in too much bustle brings with it A distracted mind. One has to think of too many things. One has to think of the demands of one's job. One has to think of the demands of maybe the piece of land that one likes to keep in order. One has to think of the demands of the um, people that one sees in the evenings. One has to think of so many different things that The mind cannot really become one pointed in meditation. So if there's too much going on, if one tries to distract oneself too much, it's very important to investigate why am I doing that. Which dukkha am I trying to get out of today? What's bothering me? It's the only reason for being busy has no need to be busy. One should of course fulfill one's obligations and responsibilities. The Buddha always gave the guidelines in that direction. But to be overly busy cannot possibly bring peacefulness. It cannot bring contentment. It cannot bring a heart full of love. It cannot bring a heart that can actually bring the mind to meditation so one should check one's activities and see which ones are totally unnecessary and one should see whether with the activities that one does one is again not only trying to escape one's own dukkha but trying to prove something to oneself and others that one is somebody. The more we're trying to prove that we are somebody, the less we have a chance to become nobody. And that's what Nibbana is all about. And it doesn't sound appealing to some people because they haven't had enough dukkha yet. When one's had enough dukkha with the somebody, one can Actually appreciate the fact that there's only one way to get out of Dukkha and that's being nobody If our activities take us we want them to take us out of Dukkha if we want them to prove something who we are and what we are We will see that there are Not all of them are necessary some will be obviously It's impossible to live in this body and in this world without having some activity and one should but is all of it necessary from morning to night and which ones aren't which ones are strictly for those two reasons getting out of dukkha and proving I am somebody and if we find some of those can we drop them Can we have more time for the inner journey? We have the wealth of absolute truth of immeasurable love and compassion the whole wealth of the universe within us it's just waiting to be discovered but within the hustle and bustle of morning to evening activity will never manage to find it. It's like a golden treasure that is lying within us that we can actually touch upon through the quiet mind. Anyone can do it, but they've got to become quiet. And they've got to stop trying to be something special. Only then can we get at it. And then, having found it, we can share it. That's what the Buddha did. He shared it for 45 years with a few thousand people. And today he's sharing it with 500 million that's the value of enlightenment so we have it we have that treasure but if we really get busy we have no way of unlocking that treasure chest that takes time and it takes um, the quiet mind The contented mind The satisfied mind It needs a mind which knows that there's something to be found far beyond any of the worldly remunerations, something far beyond any anything at all that we can ever find in the world and then we we will make um make an attempt at checking out what is really necessary to do whatever we do out of compassion is well done and this should be our checkpoint what am i doing out of compassion and what am i doing in order to assert that I'm really here, and let as many people know about it as possible, and what am I doing in order to get out of my dukkha, to keep busy. But whatever I do out of compassion, that is what we should pursue. Besides, one has responsibilities which need to be also pursued.